if what you like best about Christmas are the great nativity stories and all of the music, the carols and choirs and cantatas, then Luke has to be your favorite gospel. Now, now to be fair, it's not much of a contest. Of the four gospels, only two of them bother to tell the story of Jesus' birth, and trust me, Luke's is the one you know best and love the most. Other than that one about the visit of the Magi in Matthew's gospel, Luke has all the good stuff. Mary learning she's gonna have the baby Jesus from an angel, that's in Luke. In a manger, that's in Luke. Shepherds in the field with angels singing, that's in Luke. The couple taking the little child to the temple for dedication. You know, it's in Luke, right? And it's not just that Luke has the great stories. Luke accompanies several of them with singing. It's not always easy to see it in the scripture, but in some translations, it's formatted more like poetry. So, for instance, when the parents of John the Baptizer learn they're going to have a child, Zechariah breaks forth into song. When the angels appear there over the shepherds and sing, glory to God in the highest, although we know all angels sing in Latin, as we just did, glory in excelsis Deo, right? That's in Luke. They break forth into song. And when the couple finally brings the infant Jesus to the temple for dedication, Simeon, the old man, breaks forth into song. And of course here, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, and she breaks forth into song. Who couldn't love something like that? Well, I can think of at least one person, and I don't mean the Grinch who stole Advent, but when our kids were growing up, I'm pretty sure our favorite movie collectively would have been The Sound of Music. I mean, if you had to vote, except for our son. He just thought it was unrealistic. He said, I mean, it's just not real. And of course, he's right. You remember in The Sound of Music, two teenagers flirting out there, and all of a sudden she breaks into song, I am 16 going on 17. Nobody does that. (laughs) They might flirt while listening to music, but they don't sing to each other. And some have said the same about this passage in Luke's gospel. It's not realistic. And they're not referring to the fact that a teenage virgin gives birth, but the fact that Mary breaks forth into song? Oh, come on. Well, they're absolutely right. It's not the least bit realistic, but it is a brilliant way to tell a story because it makes you pay attention in a different way. It's a change of pace. And the key to the poetry in this case is slowing down. You have to slow it down and not rush through it. For instance, in the very first line, you'd have to really read carefully, but it's kind of a repetition. This is our first line. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. It's pretty much the same thing repeated, but with just different words. That technique carries throughout the song of Mary, except when you get to the very middle of her song. In the very middle of her song, she says this, 
God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. And it sounds like just repetition, but it's a little bit trickier than that. On the outside of that stanza is the rich. And in the middle is the poor. It's kind of like, you know, the English teacher who said it's an A, B, B, A kind of. That's what's going on here. And the point is that at the very heart of Mary's song and in the very heart of the middle stanza is God's concern for the poor. But now this is not one of those, the people in Mercedes are going to regret it someday, and those of us who don't have anything, we're all going to have our... That's not really what's going on here. I, I could explain it, go into detail, but let me tell you a story instead. David May, a good friend of mine who teaches New Testament at Central Seminary, years ago had gone to a conference in Atlanta. It was a conference of biblical scholars, and he was staying in one of the downtown hotels near the conference center, and the instructions he'd been given said, you'll want to, when you get off the plane, you'll take the subway system, MARTA, I think it is, and then you'll get to the end of this line, you'll get on a bus, and that will almost get you to your hotel, but you'll have to walk a little bit. Well, this was pre-smartphones, and so he followed all the instructions, he got off the bus, and he was like, I have no idea where I'm going. And there was this woman standing there, waiting for another bus, and so he approached her. Well, it turns out she spoke Spanish. That's her only language. And they just weren't communicating. And after a few minutes when they weren't communicating and she didn't know where his hotel was, she said, you poor man, you are very lost. <laughs> now, how did she know how much money he has? You poor man. That wasn't the point. It wasn't how much money he had. It was a state of being. And biblical scholars say that at the very heart of this song is, yes, God's concern for the poor, those who have nothing, but that it is perhaps a kind of image that extends beyond just the pocketbook. It extends to any who hurt. You've seen over the years these stories of 9-11, BP oil skill, skill uh, whatever it is. Kenneth Feinberg, the attorney, has become famous for a formula that he's worked out, trying to compensate for loss. But how do, you, how do you compensate? I mean, you could have millions in the bank after an incident, but at that moment, you are poor. You, you know what I'm saying? In Houston, my hometown, after Hurricane Harvey just sat there for days and finally moved away. It was an incredible reversal because almost every flood growing up, I remember it was the poor people whose homes flooded. And now, yes, that happened again, but there were also wealthy neighborhoods. And watching that footage, how many of us said, oh my gosh, those poor people. But that's a big home. But at that moment, those poor people. So Mary sings. She sings of a day when those who are low will be lifted up, when those who are hungry will be fed. Only that's not actually quite accurate either. Remember, it's poetry. You have to really slow down. She does not sing in the future tense. 
Give yourself an A if you notice that. She sings in the past tense. She says God has done this and God has done that and God has done this over and over. She, what is wrong with her? This is brilliant theology though because it's Luke's way of saying that God's song on Mary's heart is so certain of a future that it can be sung of in the past tense. This will happen. Write it down. You can trust it. Every once in a while, you get a glimpse of it even now. Even though it's a future, you get a glimpse. I don't know how many of you know that story about Flanders Field in World War I. You know, the soldiers, German and, and American, were in these trenches, these little foxholes they had dug, and sometimes only yards apart. And the place in between was no man's land. As Christmas approached, they were all on guard because the high command had said, you know, this could be the perfect time for the enemy to attack. But that wasn't what the soldiers had in mind. On December 19th, a German came out, waved the white flag, and suggested that they cut down trees for Christmas. They even exchanged little gifts as Christmas drew near. On Christmas Eve, you could hear it. German baritone. Stille Nacht, Heilige Nacht. Silent night. He started singing Silent Night, so they all joined in. They came out of the trenches, and they exchanged those little gifts. You know, trinkets and cigarettes and rations. And they, they, they exchanged their addresses so that they could write each other after the war. I don't know how you write to somebody that you were trying to kill, but that was their intention. And then they went back into the trenches and kept on fighting. But for a moment, because of the birth of Jesus, there was peace on earth. That's how Mary's song works. It's a future, but it is so certain she sings in the past tense. I, I got a little glimpse of it a week ago Tuesday. A week ago Tuesday, the staff did a service project together. We went to Della Lamb over in the northeast part of town, one of the ministries that we support, and it's a very multifaceted ministry. But our task this day, we didn't know for sure, but our task this day was to be kind of Santa Claus in a way. They'd taken a, a gym and put down stuff on the floor to protect it, and they'd set up tables around it. It was a kind of a makeshift mall. There were toys and games and puzzles and dolls, and as you went around, then it became food. And the idea was very simple. These folks, parents, would come in, and a couple of us at a time with big bags would walk around and help them shop. Well, what do you think? You, soccer ball, or you want this? And, and you just put it in a big sack, and you'd go to the next thing, and then eventually you'd put the big butterball turkey in there, and then you'd lug out these bags. And you can imagine what that is like. Except, <laughs> on this particular day, hardly anybody showed up. We way outnumbered the poor. Just for a moment, we had run out of poor people. And I thought, this is God's vision. This is God's vision for the future, a day when 
the poor will no longer be with us because all have been fed and all have been cared for. That's Mary's song. It's what God dreams of at Christmas. Not a white one, but a just one. What do you, what do you want for Christmas? Christmas. 